0: Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online at
1: digitalhealthtoday.com.
0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Digital Health Today, the place to be to get the insights of leaders making the healthcare of tomorrow available today. I'm your host, Dan Kendall. With all the news stories dominating the headlines, you could be forgiven for thinking that the HIV epidemic is no longer a crisis. Unfortunately, that's not the case. The World Health Organization reports, based on statistics from the end of 2018, that about 38 million people are living with HIV around the world. While about 62% of those, or about 23 million people, were receiving antiretroviral treatment by the end of 2018, another 21% of them did not even know their HIV status. That's about 8 million people who didn't even know they were infected and who are at risk of infecting others. The African region is the most severely affected, with nearly two-thirds of the total number of people living with HIV worldwide. Nearly one in every 25 adults are living with HIV, or to put it another way, about 4% of the adult population in Africa. Somewhere between 14 to 20% of those individuals are not even aware of their status, and if you want to dive deeper into any of these stats, I've included a link to the WHO site in the show notes where you can learn more. Now, among the African countries, South Africa in particular has the largest HIV epidemic in the world. Of the global number of people living with HIV, 19, that's one 19% live in South Africa. This country alone also accounts for about 15% of new infections and 11% of AIDS-related deaths. As you would expect with a crisis of this magnitude, South Africa also has the largest treatment program in the world. So when it comes to looking at effective ways of managing people with a chronic long-term condition like HIV, South Africa has a lot of experience and resources focused on this area. To tell us more about some of the innovation and approaches being used to treat such an enormous health crisis, I brought in two leaders who have worked at the leading edge of personal and population health for several decades. They'll give us a deeper understanding of how solutions are being developed and how health systems are coordinating information and care on a system and on an individual level. While our conversation focuses specifically on HIV, there are some great tools and practices being deployed that can address other chronic diseases and health challenges. Back for a second appearance on Digital Health Today is KP Yalpala. KP is the founder and CEO of Access Mobile. You can find their website at accessmobile.io. KP is an entrepreneur and public health practitioner with a deep understanding of health systems and over 15 years of experience working across the public and private sectors in the United States, East and West Africa, and the Caribbean. He's an expert in national-scale health program implementation, technology innovation, and the opportunities that lie at the intersection of health and technology policy. He was a guest way back on episode 13, and I encourage you to take a listen to that by clicking on the link in the show notes or visiting digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 13. Also joining me is Dr. John Sargent of Broadreach. You can find their website at broadreachcorporation.com. John co-founded Broadreach with Dr. Ernest Darko in 2003, and John serves as co-CEO overseeing the development of technology-enabled solutions for the consulting business. He's been recognized by the World Economic Forum as the Social Entrepreneur of the Year in 2015, and by Frost and Sullivan for the Visionary Leadership Award in Healthcare. And in a first for me here at Digital Health Today... John is a guest that I've known for over 30 years. Yes, John and I went to high school together back in Virginia Beach, Virginia. John was both our class president and our class valedictorian. He went on to graduate with degrees from Dartmouth College, Oxford University, and Harvard Medical School. It was really cool to reconnect with John, who until recently, I hadn't seen since our 10-year reunion. Just for fun, I'm going to dig out some of our old high school photos and post them on our social media pages. I shudder to think what that's going to look like, but go go to DHealthToday on Twitter and find us on Facebook and Instagram and look for those as well. Um, I might have second thoughts about that after recording this, but we'll see what I find. I also post a more recent one that we took when we were able to meet up in London just recently. Now, before we dive in, I just want to remind you that you can get all the information on our website, digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 90 digital health today is proud to be a founding member of the brand new health podcast network so in addition to finding all the notes on our website you can also visit healthpodcastnetwork.com to find this show as well as other shows created by organizations including startup health oliver wyman and w2o group as well as podcasts from healthcare thought leaders like the podcast entitled a sherpa's guide to innovation creating a new healthcare hit like a girl the doc sf podcast and more All right. Now let me turn to my two guests, John, KP. Thanks for joining me and welcome to the program.
1: Thanks so much, Dan. Looking forward to it.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Wonderful to be with you.
0: It's good to have you both here. There's a lot that we're going to cover today in terms of HIV and chronic disease, social determinants of health and technology. We're going to wrap all this together. But first, let's start off with some understanding about each of your businesses. John, let's start with you and Broadreach. Give us some insight on your company and what it is that you focus on.
1: So, We're absolutely focused on the health system, so the provider side, to perform better. So at the end of the day, there's limited resources and there's lots of patients that need care. So how do we change how health systems deliver care and how do we use technology to improve the performance of individuals all the way up to entire departments and organizations to help them do better? And we do that primarily in sub-Saharan Africa, helping to impact underserved populations.
0: And Broadreach has really grown in the 16 years or so since you and Ernest Darko started it. You've had great success in Africa, and you have over 1,000 employees. I know you have plans to enter the U.S. market and other markets as well. We've seen a tremendous shift in terms of technology compared to what was available when you started the business. You started it before the mobile revolution, before the expansion of cloud technologies and AI. How have these and other changes in technology, and I guess also in user expectations, affected the way you've structured your business?
1: We've really evolved into really two business units. Our original business unit is what I call our public health consulting unit. And that is, you know, through working through generous grants from organizations like USAID and CDC and other organizations to work in countries to help improve the public health system from strategy to policy to all the way down to understanding how is the clinic performing and how are individual people in the clinic, doctors, nurses, community healthcare workers, how are they performing and how can we improve their performance? What's sort of evolved from that is a second practice area, which is really technology-enabled solutions. So what we found in running our own programs and a lot of work we did with Life Sciences Company, that we could actually take those learnings and help other organizations, whether they're governments or whomever who's running a large scale healthcare system, to help them improve their system. And so we, in that particular practice, have a consulting team, and we implement a technology called Vantage. And Vantage is sort of like an AI-powered productivity and performance management system that helps everyone from a minister of health down to a community healthcare worker understand how are they performing, where should they focus, how should they do better. And so really that particular practice area, we're very excited about because we believe that the power of technology fourth industrial revolution can really transform how health systems operate
0: we're going to go into some of the impact that you're having it's it's just tremendous the work that you guys have been doing and you know it's been a little while so i can't quite remember this john but i was trying to think of this before this call were you voted the most likely to succeed in our graduating <laughs> class from high school i was yeah I thought you were. I couldn't quite remember. I knew, I knew you were my vote. And, and, uh, and here we are all these years later, we're talking about the millions of people that you're working with to help and the people within your organization. So I think that we definitely had the predictions right in that ballot back all those years ago. Thank you. Now, KP, let's jump over to you. It's already been a few years since you and I spoke back on episode 13. Can you give us a, a little update about some of the major milestones and advances that your business, Access Mobile, has had?
2: Yeah. So access mobile has been on, on quite a journey, particularly in the last two years. And, and since we last spoke, Dan, you know, we're on a mission to improve access to health information and services through what we call intelligent mobile engagement. You know, if you look at, you know, African countries generally, there's just not enough access to quality healthcare services compared to demand, but everyone has a phone. And so very early, you know, in the journey of access mobile, I was constantly thinking about, well, how can we use the mobile device as a tool to connect with patients and with communities and ultimately improve health outcomes and access to care? And so, you know, that journey started in East Africa, as you know, Dan, from our prior discussion. And since we last spoke, we now are working in South Africa with Broadreach on a really exciting initiative we'll discuss. But then we also have been able to take our models that we've been developing in what we call our center of excellence in African countries for underserved communities in the U.S., namely Medicaid populations, rural populations, and multicultural populations. So there's a lot of lessons learned and opportunities between the markets and communities.
0: KP, thanks for sharing that, and congratulations on your success. We're going to dive into a little bit of those details around that expansion later in the program. Now, John, I want to ask you, 20 or 30 years ago, HIV was all over the headlines. There were a lot of myths and fear around it. There was a lot of education programs trying to teach people what it was and what it wasn't, trying to allay some of the fears, but also make people appropriately aware of the threat and the danger of exposure to HIV. Just for some context, it was less than 30 years ago. It was 1991. When basketball great Magic Johnson made headlines with his announcement that he was infected with HIV, that was 28 years ago. He's now 60 years old. Mm -hmm. So in those intervening decades, the understanding has increased, but the headlines have dramatically dropped. I gave some stats at the beginning of the program about the millions of people that are still infected with HIV, but we just don't hear about it as much. What can you tell us about the current state of the HIV epidemic? Is there still a crisis?
1: So certainly where we work, it's it's still a crisis. I think the good news is that there's been so much progress in terms of treatment. And so if you adhere to the treatment every single day for the rest of your life, like Magic Johnson, you can live a healthy, productive life. It's no longer a death sentence. But the flip side of that is that you get complacent. And so when we were working in South Africa and Botswana in the early days, you know, HIV was absolutely a death sentence. Today, it's not a death sentence. And so you have younger generations who don't understand that you actually need to take your medicines, you need to change your behavior. And so we are seeing a little bit of complacency. And you know, while the world has made great progress, it's still a pretty serious problem.
0: Now, that's some of the macro impact of the disease. It's still out there. There's still millions of people that are affected. KP, what's some of the the personal impact of this disease? How does it affect... Individual lives and family dynamics, and sort of a community level in the populations where you're working. I guess we can focus on South Africa, but I'm sure you have other experiences you can draw into the conversation.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think when we look at it at an individual level, one, we have to ensure that people have access to treatment, as John has mentioned. But then because um, we're dealing with a chronic situation, a chronic disease, we now have to think about how people are empowered or enabled to be on that treatment for their whole lifetime. And that becomes a very different situation, right? People's lives ebb and flow. There are highs and lows. People live in different situations and contexts. And really to support compliance with the treatment regime for someone's entire life now is a whole different game, right? At the early days, it was like, Let's get the price of drugs down. Let's enhance health systems. Let's get people on the drugs, right? But now as we start to get people on the drugs and we realize it's a lifetime commitment, we face now a whole nother set of of challenges like with any chronic disease. And a lot of the discussion now and a lot of where our focus is globally and with broad reach in South Africa is around what we call social determinants of health. And the long and short of that is it's about context, right? People's income levels, their preferences, their situations, those are all variables that become drivers of whether or not we're able to support someone in compliance for their lifetime. And, and that's really where we think about individual impact in a much deeper way.
0: So the good news is that people can live a long, healthy life even with the disease if they take their medications appropriately. There's now an array of medications that are available to keep people healthy and keep the, the virus down. But the first step is understanding if people are infected. And John, I know that through your work, you've been involved in supporting testing of millions of people and getting them onto treatment programs. So what is the access to testing
1: like currently? It really depends on sort of what country and within each country. So if you're in urban settings, large cities, it's much easier to access populations. If you're out in rural areas, it's a lot tougher. And then even within those settings, the other way to think about it is, you know, there are people who are sort of at the margins of society and who have not had the benefit of education or an understanding of of HIV and those who have had that exposure. And so it becomes very complicated very quickly. And while you can test millions of people, the challenge is are you testing actually the right segments of the population? Because certainly there are segments where HIV is is far more prevalent. So the real challenge in testing, you know, first of all, is figuring out where are those populations, number one. Number two, how do we connect to them in an individual human way to help them understand the importance of being tested, understand about HIV, understand about their health, help them become empowered by their health. And then lastly, once you get past those and, you know, changing human behavior is a big deal, then on the supply side, you know, do we have enough trained doctors and nurses to deal with that? Do we have enough supplies? And, and even if we do, and somebody tests positive, can we immediately link them to care? So it's a complicated thing and it all boils down to individual humans, changing behavior and acting together in a way that allows populations to ultimately be tested and put on treatment and influenced. The
0: 27th of June every year is the HIV testing day. I know in the US, Walgreens gave away free HIV testing for anyone who walked in. And I know Prince Harry and Lady Gaga and other celebrities have been on the news talking about how they had the HIV test done. What's the stigma like? Is there still a resistance even to the testing process? Because that's going to be the first step of getting people into these pathways. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So, you know, again, it really depends where you are, but 15 years ago when we got started in this, absolutely. I mean, nobody at all wanted to be seen going to a clinic. Nobody wanted to talk about this. And, you know, in many of the countries we work in, there's different social and cultural belief systems about illness and, and sickness. And so, you know, I think- Over time, especially certainly where we work in South Africa, especially in urban settings, it's become much more accepted and going out and getting tested is seen as something you you should do. There are other places where we work, especially rural areas, uh, areas that may not have benefited from so much public education, and we still have those problems.
0: Well, you both are entrepreneurs. You each started your own companies. John, you have a a co-founder we've talked about with Ernest Darko. Broadreach has supported testing and treatment programs for several years. Access Mobile has been supporting access in several African countries and now the U.S. as well. Now you guys have brought your companies together to address this challenge in South Africa. What can you tell us about the project that you're working on uh, to control the HIV epidemic?
1: Sure. KP, I'll defer to you on on the details. Maybe I can start with the big picture. And I think what is phenomenal about the partnership is that, you know, I think in the discussion, you know, KP's been talking about it comes down to the individual. In your questions about testing, it comes down to individual people making the decision to change how they live, to get tested, to take treatment. And so from Broadreach's perspective, we've primarily worked on the healthcare delivery side. So doctors, nurses, making clinics more effective, you know, more efficient. But at the end of the day, you can have the best doctors, the best nurses in the world. But if patients ultimately aren't empowered with the right information to take charge of, of their health and their lives, then it doesn't matter how good your health system is. So you need both parts of the equation. So, you know, Broadreach is really on the, the provider side and Access Mobile is on the patient side. And I think it's, you know, this project I'm hoping is the first Of many projects where we can bring our expertise together. And KP, I'll defer to you to really talk about the specifics of the South African project.
2: Great. Thanks, John. That's a great framing. I mean, we've been very excited to partner with Broadreach and we were just looking for the right opportunity um, when Ernest, John, and I first kind of put our heads together and what they understood about what we offer and how it complemented what they were doing is that Um, They've been in the communities or in the trenches doing this work for a few decades now, right, at the community and at the patient level, like John is saying. And our view is that, you know, people use the term patient engagement a lot. But when you think about it, patient engagement isn't new. As long as people have had healthcare issues and there's been someone trying to address them, there's been engagement. The question is, how do we use new tools and technologies to enhance and expand our capabilities to engage and to personalize that connection point outside of the clinical setting? And particularly with chronic disease states, most of the management of of that disease, and in this case, HIV happens outside of the clinical setting. So the real question is, you know, Broadreach has been in the trenches building the health system infrastructure, partnering with government. Training, doing all that field work where the rubber meets the road. But then what happens when the patient leaves the clinic? And we were saying, look, like everyone has a phone, but it's not just about blasting messages to people. You know, if you have a million people that you're trying to connect with, there's a million different individual preferences. And can we, in our grand vision, touch each person? Through technology in a personalized way that connects with whatever is going on with their care and treatment regime. And so that's kind of conceptually what we're doing. And the way we're implementing that on the ground is by leveraging Broadreach's contact centers. So Broadreach has call centers in the community that have been doing the good work of follow up with patients. An important stat of note is that once someone is tested, and they're positive, and they start treatment. Within six months, there's a 40% loss to follow up. How do we address that? 40% of people, once we've invested all the time and energy to get them tested and get them in the system, drop off. You may be asking yourselves why, and we can get into that part of the discussion in a moment. But before we get into the why, really like the thesis is These touch points, these personalized communication points, can we leverage Broadreach's contact centers where they're already making these calls, they're they're trying to trace people um, and track them and and keep them engaged? And can we automate some of that through smart engagement using Broadreach's infrastructure and technology and our communication and behavioral science capabilities?
0: This is really a multi-layered and multifaceted problem, and I know that the solution you guys have developed is equally complex. I want to be sure to mention that the teams at Broadreach and Access Mobile have put together some materials that go into more depth about the collaboration between the two companies. It's a few pages that explains in more detail that listeners may want to dive into, so you can grab that by visiting the link in the show notes or heading to our website at digitalhealthtoday.com slash 90. When we come back, we'll explore the barriers to progress and how to address them, and we'll also discuss how these solutions can be applied to rural communities in markets like the U.S. Stay tuned. We're back with KP Yalpala of Access Mobile and Dr. John Sargent of Broadreach Corporation, KP, before the break, we were talking about the 40% loss to follow-up. What are some of the factors that are contributing to that figure? And more importantly, how do you go about addressing it?
2: The first place is where you start, Dan, which is people may start medication, they may start feeling well, and they're like, oh, I don't need to go to the doctor. And actually, that's not just an HIV issue with other care compliance, with other chronic disease states, and I defer to John, but even with something like hypertension, right, where... Someone you know, has hypertension, they start taking their drugs, they feel good, they stop. Like That's human, and that's kind of a challenge, I think, with a number of different chronic disease states. But then I go back to something I mentioned, which is this idea of social determinants of health. What are the other things going on in someone's lives? Do they live in a rural area and transportation is a barrier? Do they have other barriers or challenges in their communities? Is there stigma? Are they not supported at home? There are so many variables that may lead to someone not continuing to engage, particularly in the South African context and in rural and low-income settings. On top of that, one of the innovations that Broadreach is working on through Vantage is about data. The other side of loss to follow-up is a data problem. Someone may come into one facility, start treatment, and then go to another facility. If that data is not connected, you can imagine that this person could become lost to follow up for clinic A and a new patient in clinic B, right? So some of the innovations that Broadreach is working on as well as Vantage and connecting the dots around data, and then our ability to also use phone numbers to communicate with people and to try to trace them through the contact center allows us to do some triangulation on the data side, but then we also have to consider context. But John, I'm curious to hear your comments as well on this.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's incredibly complicated. I mean, you even think about, you know, in, in the US or Europe, if, if you have a six or seven day course of antibiotics, say you have bronchitis, I mean, how many people actually finish that? By day three, day four, you're feeling well, you get busy with work, you forget, and it happens. And and so I think at the end of the day, it's a really complex issue and you need to sort out things you can fix Easily. So are there data issues? And if that's the case, then, you know, maybe the problem is not as big as we thought. And what are actual sort of social determinants of health? What are mental health issues? What are sort of uh, different cultural understandings? And, And that's where it gets really, really complicated. So what's the strategy
0: here? So you've got Access Mobile and Broadreach coming together to attack this from two different sides, from the uh, provider side and from the patient side, if I can sort of simplify it like that, correct me if that's a mischaracterization. But you guys both said at the beginning that you hope this would be the first of several iterations. Do you mean for other areas battling HIV or do you mean, as KP just mentioned, with hypertension or other chronic illnesses?
1: <laughs> I think all of the above. Maybe, maybe two things. I think number one, it's important for listeners to understand that this work that we're doing in South Africa is funded through, in this particular case, the U.S. government through U.S. aid through a program called PEPFAR. And PEPFAR has been uh, was launched by President George Bush in 2003, and it has been the sort of largest public health program in the world. And the ability to innovate and do this work is because of that. Plus the partnership we have with South African government. So all this work that we're doing is um, in South African government facilities and working closely with folks who are on the front lines who are dedicated their lives to solving this problem. So it's a real honor and a privilege to be working there. You know, To answer your question, I, I think you know, we have lots of conversations and we would love to be able to you know do this in South Africa, do it really well, show that by bringing our combined capabilities, we can attack the provider side and the patient side and really get much better results and then see if we can take that to other hiv programs within africa sort of as a step one but as a sort of a step two that's sort of in parallel you know looking at other markets and and other chronic diseases because certainly hiv as i mentioned is not a death sentence anymore it is a chronic disease just like diabetes just like hypertension and a lot of the dynamics and how you manage that are the same so our hope is we can bring that back into other markets
0: kp any comment from you on that
2: yeah no that's exactly right and i think that um What we're learning in in South Africa in this partnership, and one of the principles is that it's not all technology, right? There's a lot of work that happens on the ground to build the health infrastructure, to enhance the capacity of the health system to respond. And I just want to emphasize in our partnership, that was one of the things that resonated is we both come from that view, having been practitioners, both for Ernest and John on the clinical and public health side, and for me on the public health side as well, on the ground. So we understand the complexity. And I think what we're uncovering is where technology can have an impact in people's lives meaningfully and where there's other work that needs to be done and how you put those components together in, in, in the right way.
1: So KP,
0: you're based in Denver. You started with uh, East Africa. and Now you entered the US market just recently in the past year or so. Are you seeing things from this program that you can lay into the US market?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think when you look at barriers to care, particularly for underserved populations, there are a lot of common characteristics. Um, that's not to say that healthcare issues and people's issues are not highly localized and personalized. But when we look at certain segments of population, the characteristics of the problem and the barriers are similar. And what we've been uncovering is that, you know, whether we're working in rural Oregon now with the Medicaid, Medicare payer, or in East Los Angeles with a health system that serves, you know, low-income Latinx populations, there's a lot of commonality. Um, I think the one thing we find that's very different between emerging markets, if I can put it that way, and let's say the U.S. is the maturity of the technology space. So a lot of what we want to do technologically is driven by data. But if you're in an environment where there's still, like in South Africa, a lot of paper-based process and where digital transformation is happening, but it hasn't fully happened, you have to design your technological interventions to consider both paper-based and electronic processes. Mm -hmm. And this is part of the innovation of what we're doing with Broadreach that gets under the hood, is where Broadreach has worked with government and put in place a number of systems and processes that allow data to move from the field to centralized domains. In the US, a lot of the digital data already exists that we can tap into, such as electronic medical record data, claims data, census data, lots of digital information that kind of accelerates certain aspects of our technological program. Though, you know, the lessons we learn in emerging markets around barriers to care allow us to work with our partners in the US to design creative interventions that aren't as simple as sending a text, but are framed through social determinants of health, behavioral science, and other things.
0: I think an important aspect of this is Understanding what success looks like. So it would be great to say let's eradicate the disease, but I think we're a long way off of that. What does success look like in treatment of this HIV epidemic? So, you know, in
1: our HIV world, there's this concept called 90 90 90. And it was uh, originally created and, and pushed by UNAIDS. And the idea is that success looks like 90% of the people who are HIV positive actually get tested. So 90% of the people out there in the world know their status. And of that 90% who know their status, they go on to treatment. And of that 90% on treatment, 90% stay on treatment every day the same way for the rest of their lives. And the feeling is that through the epidemiological modeling, if you can hit those numbers, 90, 90, 90, you can really get the disease in control. Now there there is some discussion about in the next year, a couple of years changing that to 95 95 95 and l- let's hope we get there because I think there is a lot of progress being made against the, the the triple 90s. But you know, I think for us as a you know sort of an HIV world to get to that level, you know, we will really have the disease under control.
0: Well, I can't wait for us to get there and I'm sure you can't either. I wish you guys a lot of success and it would be great to give our listeners an update when you have some results that you can share so please do keep me posted and let me know when there's some information I can send out to our audience. Before I let you go, let me ask each of you, is there anything else that you'd like to make sure the listeners hear or anything
1: that you're looking for that you'd like listeners to contact
0: you about? John, we'll start with you.
1: It'd be great to hear back from your listeners. Any if folks have worked with HIV or other diseases in different settings and have ideas that have worked for them, and they want to contribute? We'd love that. We get also lots of folks who are interested in volunteering and working with us, and you know we'd love to take enthusiastic, passionate folks uh, who are willing to help out.
0: Great, and KP, over to you. Is there anything else that you want to share, or anything else that you'd like the listeners to contact you about?
2: Yeah, we're we're growing, and we're we're really excited to partner with different folks who are looking to take advantage of mobile technology around care compliance and other things. Obviously, any ways that partners feel like they could support what Broadreach and Access Mobile are doing together and tested in new environments is great. We're growing and we're hiring as well. And my comments in terms of what we're looking for are both for the African market and for underserved populations in the U.S.,
0: just as a final reminder, we'll have the links to your websites, your LinkedIn profiles, and more in the show notes. You can get them here on your podcast player or on our website at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 90 or on the health podcast network. And don't forget to download the additional information that Broadreach and Access Mobile put together that shows some more of the details about their work in South Africa. That just leaves me to say, John, KP, thank you so much for the work that you're doing and for being with me here on the
2: show. Keep up the great work. Thanks so much, Dan, for sharing our story. And uh, we're just, uh, we really appreciate it and the work you're doing.
1: Yeah, likewise. Thanks so much. We really appreciate your time.